computer. Good afternoon, producer Susan. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, Juji Joe. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm just great, thanks. Um, so, will you any uh, any snow out there in Pennsylvania? Uh, not. It snowed last night, and we're supposed to get some on Friday. All right. Well, we're still waiting for our first flakes here in New Jersey. So, uh, anyway, hey, yeah, uh, as usual, we have a full day. Uh, let's see if we can squeeze it all in. Um, so here's what we're going to talk about. Um, our quote of the day by author Ann Rand. You know who Ann Rand is? I do not. All right. Well, we'll tell you who she is. On our science segment, we have two topics. We're going to talk about a new artificial intelligence application that can write essays, term and term papers, and even poems without pre plagiarizing previous works. Uh, we'll talk about how many new stars were created last year in the universe and why the Earth's orbit is getting larger. And as an Earth science major, you may uh, understand that. In our health, um, health Minute, we'll talk about the latest study out of Stanford about the COVID case fatality rate now that it's been two years since the first case. Um, do you hear the federal government is, is considering a proposal to ban gas stoves? What kind of stove do you have in your house? I have an electric stove, um, but it's the stove that I inherited with the house. So, but I did hear that. All right. So we'll talk about that one. We'll talk about the latest data dump by the U.S. Census Bureau that covers things like the changes in median household income, how it differs by region, how many people are and aren't covered by some form of health insurance, and the changes to the number of people and children who live in so-called or defined poverty. We'll also summarize how many police officers are murdered in 2022 and who is killing them. Now, by the way, whenever a police officer uh, unjustly shoots and kills you know, somebody, an unarmed person, it makes national news. And, and how frequently does that happen? Once a year, once every 18 months? I mean, have you, did you hear anything last year where police officer was accused of murdering, you know, unjustly shooting anybody? Uh, I, I feel like it happens every couple of months. Right. Well, let's say you were right. By the way, it doesn't. But let's assume that it happened four times last year. Uh, the numbers of police officers that are murdered every year compared to that are staggering. And in our taxpayer relief shot is from Louisiana, where a single mother home alone, somebody breaks in her house at 430 in the morning, pitch black, and she shoots and kills the guy who broke in. He was armed with a shovel and a tire iron. Anyway, Anne Rand is famous. She wrote a book called Atlas Shrugged, um, which was published, I think, in 1957. It was praised by uh, conservatives and libertarians. She actually was born in Russia and lived there till age 19. And she immigrated to the U.S. in about 1923, 24, after World War I. And when she got to you, the United States as a young girl, she was just blown away by the difference between the you know communist socialist uh, uh, economic model in Russia, where the land belonged to the government, you know, and if you lived on government land, they said, okay, you're going to be a wheat farmer, and you're going to grow wheat, and you're going to bake bread, and if you do a good job growing wheat and baking bread, and you bake 50 loaves of bread for your neighbors, you can keep one. That's how things worked in 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 Soviet Russia, or communist Russia. She got to the U.S. She was absolutely blown away by the capitalist business model. Um, and here's her quote from, uh, I think, 1960. So this quote is, is 60 years old. We are fast. Now, this is what she said in 1960. Now, I appreciate it's been 60 years since, since then. Here's her quote from 1960. We are fast approaching the stage 
of the ultimate inversion, the stage where the government is free to do anything it pleases, while the citizens may act only by permission, which is the stage of the darkest periods of human history, the stage of rule by brute force. Um, and if you want to, and if you need examples of that, certainly the COVID lockdowns, you know, this the brute force. But think of all the things you can't do, particularly if you live in a city without a government permission of some kind. And here's just a partial list. You need the government's permission to hunt. You need the government's permission to fish. You need the government's permission to drive a car, drive a motorcycle, sell real estate, buy a gun, add a deck to your home, board an airplane, practice law, sell alcohol, fly an airplane, practice medicine, cut or color hair for money, manufacture or sell products, build a house, run a bar or restaurant, breed dogs, get married, operate a forklift that you don't own, sell milk, beef, or other agro products, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and can you think of any other things what you need the government's permission to do? Uh, buy cold medicine and buy spray paint. That's right. You need the government's permission to, uh, yeah, they, they control who can buy spray paint and who can buy like, like Sudafed. So have we reached the point where Ayn Rand's prediction has come true? And again, that prediction was, 60 years ago, we are fast approaching the stage of the ultimate inversion, the stage where the government is free to do anything it pleases, while the citizens may act only by permission. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, and so think about it. I mean, the government literally told restaurants, you have to close down. We, we are denying you permission to operate your restaurant. And you're going to see how, uh, how uh, unnecessary that was when I start to quote some statistics on COVID deaths two years into it now. So that's the quote of the day. Anne Rand, A-Y-N, by the way, A-Y-N-R-A-N-D. If you never wrote Red Atlas Shrugged or you haven't not familiar, I, I strongly urge you um, to pick up a copy or get online and read Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand. Now, um, have you heard about this new AI application that can write essays and poems and term papers? I, I don't think I've heard of that particular one, but I do use a uh, AI to check my writing. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a new, this was released in November. It's called Chat GPT. Chat George Peter Tom GPT. Um, and you, you can just Google it. I'm only going to give you the very highest level, but it is such a smart artificial intelligence. Now, it doesn't go, it's not like a Google search where you say, you know, tell me about this. And it, it brings up a list of essays by other people. You can say to chat GPT, write me a poem about puppy dogs and rainbows. And it will write you an original poem about puppy dogs and rainbows. Now, it will draw on the works of other poets and, and whatnot. Or you can say, you can ask it, uh, write me a, a, a term paper between, write me an essay between 300 and 500 words that explains why Captain Ahab was so focused on uh, on finding and, and uh, harpooning the white whale. And it will write an essay on Moby Dick and why Captain Ahab was obsessed with finding the white whale. So that's chat GBT, uh, GPT rather. And, prof and college professors and even high school professors now are you know really in attention because they're giving their students these essay assignments and homework assignments. And some of the students are just going to chat GPT and saying, you know, write me this paper, write me this essay, or, you know, or like, you know, explain the difference between, um, you know, uh, uh, a republic and a, and a democracy. And again, it won't just pick somebody else's paper. It will write you an original paper that will explain the difference between um, 
between a republic and a democracy. So what do you think of that? You know, it's interesting because, and this has been common practice for at least 10 or more years, where professors at most major universities ask students to submit their their papers digitally so that they can run them through a plagiarism software. And I don't know the name of the software, but it is to make sure that you didn't get it from a a higher, you know, somebody, a classmate who was a year or two ahead of you. So you can't recycle papers. Right. But that won't work on chat GPT because it doesn't plagiarize. It creates original works. So it's an interesting, again, it is not a plagiarizing. Now, uh, I understand some people are coming up with software that can run a test to, to, uh, they claim that they can, they can test to see if the essay or poem or term paper was written by chat GPT. But uh, write that down and, and maybe uh, when you got some time at work, test it, ask chat GPT to write you a poem or explain the difference. Why don't you ask it to explain the difference between a constitutional republic and a democracy and see what it comes up with. All right. All right. So Earth science major, um, you know that the uh, Earth's orbit got bigger last year? I didn't know that it got bigger. You did know? I did not know that. Uh, do you know why it got bigger? Uh, no, I don't. Well, let's let's back up. So uh, the laws of gravity, what determines the gravitational attraction between two bodies? Uh, the sun. Well, in, well, between the sun and there, it's the relative masses, right? The yes. greater the mass, the greater mm -hmm. the attraction, right? Yep. Well, every time the sun has a solar flare, it, it throws trillions of tons of material off into space. Well, last year... The sun lost, you ready for this, 174 trillion tons of mass. The sun got lighter because it, it threw off 174 trillion tons of mass into outer space. And because it threw off 174 trillion tons of mass into outer space, that decreased its gravitational attraction on the Earth. And the Earth moved about four inches further away. So now four inches isn't a lot. But every year, the Earth moves a little bit further away from the sun because the Earth, because the sun continues to, to throw off mass every more, every more, every every year. But here's one. Now, you've seen the pictures from the Hubble telescope and the Webb telescope of these mm -hmm. giant clouds of dust, right? They call them the pillars of creation. You, mm -hmm. You've seen these big towering right, clouds of dust. Yep. And people have no concept those that those things are trillions of miles long uh, they look at them oh yeah that's five no it's it's they are they are measured in light years you want to guess how many new stars were formed in the visible universe last year uh, i'm going to say it's probably up there probably in the hundreds try 150 billion new stars <laughs> were formed in the universe and again what happens is the dust in those big clouds of gas you see those brown clouds of gas begins to, by gravitational attraction, begins to coalesce and it uh, comes together, it forms, and then it finally reaches a critical mass where it self-ignites. You get a fusion reaction and that happened 150 billion new stars. Now talk about things moving. You're familiar with the closest galaxy to the Milky Way is the, the Andromeda galaxy. You've heard of that, right? Yep. The Andromeda galaxy last year moved this is expressed in kilometers 3.5 billion kilometers closer to the milky way galaxy so that's about two and a half billion miles is how close how much closer the andromeda galaxy 
got to the Milky Way. And uh, scientists predict in a couple of million years, the Andromeda galaxy and the Milky Way galaxy will collide and merge, but we'll all be long gone before then. But uh, the Andromeda galaxy is, that's uh, three and a half billion kilometers in 365 days. That's, that's, this thing is hustling along. All right. So now let's talk about COVID case survival rates. And I'm just going to refer people who want to look at the detail. This was out of uh, Stanford University. Um, and the professor, you just Google Professor Ioannidis, I-O-N-N-N-I-D-I-S. He was the lead on this study. And after two years of data, um, he grouped the, this is uh, people with acknowledged infections. Uh, obviously for every one acknowledged infections, there were, you know, half a dozen other people were infected, never got tested. But here's the infection rates by age group based on two years of data. Age zero to 19, 99.9997% survival rate. Ages 20 to 29, 99.97% survival rate. Ages 30 to 39, 99.989% survival rate. Ages 40 to 49, 99.965%. Ages 50 to 59, 99.871. And ages 60 to 69, 99.499%. Clearly, you know, the overall COVID death rate, if you look at the uh, 1.1 million people in the United States over the past two years have died either from or with COVID. And there's, you know, 325 million people. That puts the national two-year COVID death rate at around 0.48%. And the vast majority, you don't even get to the 1% uh, case fatality rate until you get up over the in the over 80 uh, age 80 age group again up till age 70 um 99.5% or greater of the people survived so obviously the more logical course of action would have say hey if you're over 70 or if you have a comorbidity you need to stay home you need to take precautions you not you should not go to restaurants you need to wear a mask stay out of grocery stores you know, don't go to movie theaters, but can you imagine that we shut down more than half the businesses in the United States over over a cold, uh, basically uh, the coronavirus is a cold virus that had from virtually every major group a survival rate greater than 99.9%. Can you, can you believe that? Yeah, it, it did cause major, major disruption. And you're right, the, the, it is a cold virus. And the reason why it is uh, COVID-19 is because that was the year for that strain. Right. COVID-19, um, uh, 2019 was the year that it was uh, first become, was first detected. Um, and by the way, uh, some of those people in the, you know, 20 to 30 and 30 to 40, some of those people who did die, the vast majority did in fact have comorbidities. Mm -hmm. So, so clearly, you know, the, the survival rate among healthy people was 99.99% plus and I think looking, you know, with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, you know, shutting down all the businesses and many of those businesses didn't survive. You know, many restaurants went out of business, you know, small mom and pops, you know, coffee shops. They just didn't survive. They boarded up and we'll never see them again. Um, and I think it was just, uh, again, with hindsight, uh, it was absolutely the wrong way to handle the uh, handle the pandemic. 
All right. Should we move on to um, gas stoves? Yeah. You've heard of the Federal Consumer Product Safety Commission, right? The CPSC? Yes, I have. All right. Well, they are considering, they have uh, announced a proposal. They're going to take public comment. They're considering proposing a ban on the sale of new natural gas and propane-powered stoves and prohibiting their installation in all new homes and apartments. And here's a quote from the story. In an interview with Bloomberg News, a U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commissioner said gas stove usage is, quote, a hidden hazard, which can cause health issues, including respiratory problems in children. Any option is on the table, uh, the commissioner said. Products that can't be made safe can and should be banned. Um, the first major, uh, the report said the agency plans to take action to address the indoor pollution caused by stoves. Now, isn't it amazing that any of us growing up with homes that had gas stove lived long enough to even reach the age where we could vote? Yeah. Isn't it amazing how we survived? I, I feel like gas stoves had been the standard for most of the last few decades. Right. And to say that they represent a serious health hazard. Now, obviously, I mean, if you have a child with severe asthma and your doctor says, hey, you, you shouldn't have a gas stove in your house. You should not, you know, you should not use gas mm -hmm. or, you know, then great. Get yourself an electric stove if you or anybody in your household, you know, has a severe respiratory problem. But for the vast majority, this is where you've got one half of one where they're making rules and regulations that only that are only benefit one half of one percent of the population or less at the expense of the other ninety nine and a half percent. So this is another one of those completely unnecessary rules. And again, if you, you know, your your mother, your your young child has a respiratory problem and your doctor tells you you shouldn't be cooking on a gas stove, then don't replace it. But please don't tell people uh, that they shouldn't have a gas oven. By the way, we've talked about this in earlier podcasts. The U.S. does not have the energy infrastructure. We don't have the generating capacity, the transformer capacity or even the wires, the wires running down your street. Uh, we do not have the infrastructure to support an all all electric households. Uh, if you want to have an electric car, electric stove, electric water heater, uh, electric furnace, um, you're going to have to replace every wire coming on every telephone pole in your town, every transformer and every pole. And you're going to need to replace the circuit breaker box in your house because it's not big enough to handle all that additional load. So this thing about forcing people to get away from natural gas. And by the way, one more thing about gas stoves and gas water heaters and gas furnaces, when you burn natural gas in your furnace, the standard today is 98% efficiency or better. In other words, 98% of the energy or more of natural gas you burn in your household furnace is converted to heat, useful heat. When you burn natural gas in a power plant, only 55% of that energy makes it to the electric, to the wall outlet in your house. The other 45% of that energy in that cubic foot of natural gas is either lost up the, the stack, the furnace stack at the generating plant, or it's what lost in heating the wires and heating the transformers. It's called line losses. So if you want to use less natural gas, let that natural gas be burned in the house. Don't burn it in a power plant because 45% of that natural gas energy will never make it to the house. It will be lost to the atmosphere where it will contribute. When you when you give off waste heat to the atmosphere, what are you contributing to? Carbon dioxide. Global warming. Yep. 
right? You're, you're putting heat into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Uh, the U.S. Census Bureau last month did a data dump. Now, this is 2021 data and a lot's changed. But here's some interesting information from 2021, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. U.S. Uh, here's their what would you if you had to guess, what do you think the median household income in the United States is on average? Uh, $70,000. Almost spot on. $70,784. Now, it's, it varies by region. In the median incomes were the highest in the West, where they were 79,430, and in the Northeast, 77,472. Uh, in the South, you know, Mississippi, Arkansas, Georgia, 63,368. By the way, by race, do you know which, which uh, ethnic group had the highest household income? I'm going to say Caucasian. Asian. Oh, yeah. Asian households averaged. $101,000 was the median household income for Asian households. And we're going to talk a little bit about two parent, uh, two parent, you know, uh, two parent families, by the way. But, uh, uh, you know, obviously, whether it's uh, one parent or two parent, because household incomes are based upon total earning capacity. And in the case of Asian households, it was 101,418. Now, let's talk about single workers. Now, median worker income. Now, this is a blend of full-time plus part-time, and it was 45470 but there's a lot of part-timers in there. When you look at median earnings among full-time workers, excluding the part-time, the median average, uh, the, excuse me, the median wage for men was 61180 and for women, 51226 Now, do you think that uh, $10,000 difference between men and women, do you think that's evidence of some uh, pay inequity where corporations, you know, pay women less than men on purpose. Um, I mean, that's what everybody will allude to. Right. But in actuality, men, men dominate high paying jobs. You, you look at welders, diesel mechanics, um, uh, electricians, plumbers, you know, welders, uh, those are the high paying job in, and even within engineering, if you look at the number of uh, college graduates who are male versus female. I think men still dominate two thirds, one third. Uh, and when you go into a Walmart the, 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 or a supermarket, the bulk of the cashiers are male or female? Uh, usually female. Right. So, you know, and you look at the, the women putting, you know, folding clothes on, on racks in Walmart, it's female. So the, the reason is primarily that uh, men dominate um, the high paying jobs and women are more prevalent in, in, and by even teaching, teaching is not a particularly high paying profession. So in K through 12 schools where the average pay for by, it's only a nine, it's only nine and a half months of the year. I think the average pay for a teacher the, this year is around 52,000, whereas a good diesel mechanic is going to pull down 80,000 a year. So again, the primary difference, I'm not saying it's the only difference, but the primary difference is that Men dominate in the high skill, uh, some of the more dangerous professions, and women tend to dominate in some of the lower paying professions. Now, here's a little update. Now, that was 2021 data. I looked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics every month that publishes the average hourly wages. And if you want to look it up yourself, just do BLS table B as in boy dash three, table B3. As of the end of December, 
the BLS is reporting that the average hourly wage, and this excludes, by the way, salaried supervisors, owners, and managers, this is just hourly employees, was $32.82, which is $65,600 per year uh, for a 2,000-hour work year. 65600 which, by the way, is very close. Remember I, I told you what the average wage for men was, 61180 Mm-hmm. And that that date is a year and a half old. So, sixty uh, thirty two eighty two is the current average hourly wage in this country. Um, which, by the way, which makes the the minimum wage irrelevant. Less than three percent of the, the the people in this country work for the uh, stated minimum wage, and the vast majority of them work in tipped positions, um, like you know waiters, waitresses, cocktail waitresses, casino dealers, where tips can easily equal two times to four times. Uh, the base hourly wage. In fact, in some of these high-end steakhouses, I know the waiters and the waitresses, they really don't care about the base wage. They would work for free. If the boss said, I can't pay you a base wage, you have to work for tips only, they'd say fine. And I've 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 actually asked cocktail waitresses at the casino, how much do you make on a on, on a night? And they'll say 200 to 300 on a weeknight and 500 to 600 per night on a Friday or a Saturday. And that's after, by the way, they share their tips with the with the uh, the barman and, and what they call the barback, the guy who washes the glasses. Can you imagine making 500 bucks a night serving drinks? <laughs> uh, my, I remember when I was in college, my roommate was a, was a uh, server and she, she'd come home in one night what I'd make in a week. But right. you know, the, the minimum wage of Pennsylvania is only seven twenty five an hour and you, you can't find a job for seven twenty five. No. The lowest paying job you can find in my town is twelve dollars. Sure. I and, mean and, that's for fast food, yeah. grocery store, yeah, you know, the entry level, that's you, nobody's paying minimum wage because they can't attract workers. Right. And it's an irrelevant number. I my personal opinion is that the federal the entire concept of a federal minimum wage needs to go away. It's a dinosaur. Uh, you cannot have, there is not one number that is appropriate for San Francisco and Jackson, Mississippi. It's, it's the whole concept of a federal minimum wage just needs to go away. In my opinion, minimum wages should be set by states and by cities within those states. You know, so if um, the state of Washington wants to have a, a, a statewide minimum wage for Washington state and the city of Seattle says, well, we want it to be, you know, higher than that. I think that's great. I think in fact, in Colorado, where I used to live, that's the way it works. This, I think the state of Colorado now has a $15 or four. No, I'm sorry. The state of Colorado, I think is $13.50 and the city of Denver is $15.50. I think that's exactly how it should work. All right, moving on. How much time we got? Oh, you got about 10 minutes. All right. Uh, the census data also included um, Americans covered by health insurance. What percentage of the population do you think are covered by some sort of health insurance, either either private or? Uh, I want to say a, a large majority. Um, I know Obamacare was uh, made into law that you had to have it. Of course, right. many people still didn't. Ninety-two percent of Americans are covered by some form of health insurance. Sixty-six percent of them are private, and thirty-six percent are covered by some form of public health insurance, either Medicaid, Obamacare, or Medicare. So two-thirds private, uh, one-third one third public. Let's talk about poverty trends and child poverty rates. Uh, by the way, there's there's the technical poverty level, which varies on the size of your family. I think if you're a couple, or I think if you're a single guy, it's like 17,000 a year. And if you're a couple, it's 24,000. 
And, you know, the size of your family, like if you have two kids, I think the poverty rate is 27,000, something like that. But they have something called the supplemental child poverty rate, which adds in the value of the public assistance programs. Like if you get food stamps, let's say you're getting $400 a month in food stamps, SNAP, you know, the supplemental nutrition. Well, that $400 a month is $4,800. If you're getting housing assistance, you're getting heating assistance. Um, if you're getting free school, if you're getting free school fre- breakfast and free school meals, they put a monetary value on that. So they come up with something called the supplemental uh, poverty measurement for ch- childhood. And here's how the the poverty trends uh, shook out. For non-Hispanic Caucasian children, only 2.7 percent of children lived in poverty. Um, for African American children it jumps to 8.1, and for Hispanic children, 8.4%. Um, now, let's talk about why it is so, so much dramatically higher uh, in African for African-American children. Uh, there is a, a definite link between child poverty and single-parent homes, and here's a quote from 2008 by a famous U.S. senator, and this is a quote by the senator. He gave this speech on Father's Day in 2008, and here's a quote. We know that more than half of all black children live in single parent households, a number that has doubled, doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit a crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. You know who said that? I don't. It was Senator, then Senator Barack Obama. He was, was running for president. I him, but I wasn't one hundred percent positive. That was uh, he, and you just Google Obama Father's Day speech two thousand eight. So, and he was correct. He was everything he quoted. Um, again, fa- children grew up with a father five times more likely to live in poverty. So that was two thousand eight. That was fourteen years ago. So he said more than half. Well, where are we today? As of 2020, seven out of 10 African-American children grew up in a home without a father. So if you want to know why 8% of of African-American children are living in poverty, it's because seven out of 10 are growing up in a home without a father. Um, For Hispanic family, it's 52%. For Caucasian white families, as opposed to Hispanic white families, Caucasian whites, it's 28.2%. And for Asian Americans, you want to guess what the single parent uh, household rate is for Asian Americans with that $101,000 household income? Uh, I feel like it's probably not that high. 11.7%. Wow. Only 11.7% of Asian American children grow up in a single parent single parent household, which is probably why they have $101,000 household income. All right. Let's quickly move on to police homicide. So at the beginning of the show, we talked about, you know, how many police unjustly kill suspects. And, you know, I think it's it's between one and two. You think it might be three or four. In 2022, there were 73 law enforcement officers were homicide victims, but 14 of them were unintentionally killed by drunk or reckless drivers. So if you take the 14 out, that means that 59 were intentionally murdered by suspects. I mean, the, the, the suspect said, I intend to kill this cop, as opposed to accidentally killing the cop. 
And a complete list of officers who died in 2022 can be found on a website called the Officer Down Memorial Page. And their website is odmp.org, odmp.org. And just search for year 2022. Anyway, if you look at those statistics and you go down, you'll find every every officer who died, heart attack, car crash, whatever, you'll find the 59 that were murdered. And of those 59, you'll find the 34 were murdered by white assailants, which is 57%, which is exactly the representation of, of uh, Caucasian, um, white Caucasians in the population. Black assailants accounted for 18% of those police homicides, and that is 30.5% of the total. African-Americans represent 12.4% of the population, but they accounted for 30%, 30.5% of all police homicides. Hispanic assailants accounted for seven of those homicides, which was 12%, which was less than their representation of the general population because they only rep they represent 18.5% of the population. And Asian-Americans, you know how many cops were killed by Asian-Americans last year? I feel like the number's probably pretty low. It's a whole number less than zero. What do you think that number is? I mean, a whole number less than one. Zero. Zero. Uh, there were no cops killed by Asian-American assailants last year. All right. We're running out of time. So we're going to talk about taxpayer relief shot. And for those who haven't heard it before, every week we talk about a taxpayer relief shot. And that's where a good guy or a good woman with a gun uh, shoots and kills a thug, saving the uh, taxpayers the cost of a jury trial, court-appointed attorney, and putting the thug in jail at a cost of seventy-five to 80,000 years. Remember, if you put a thug in jail for 10 years, you're talking 800,000 of taxpayer money. You add on the cost of the trial and the appeals, and you're probably talking a million dollars to put a thug in jail for 10 years. And here's how the sheriff of Santa Rosa County, California, uh, Florida, feels about shooting thugs. Oh, hang on. Somebody's breaking in your house. You're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. Hopefully, you'll save taxpayers money. If that wasn't clear, one more time. Somebody's breaking in your house. You're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. Hopefully, you'll save taxpayers money. And we have another sheriff in down in Florida called uh, Sheriff uh, Grady Judd. And where is Sheriff Grady Judd here? He has a slightly different take. Here we go. I would highly suggest that if a looter breaks into your home, comes into your home while you're there to steal stuff, that you take your gun and you shoot him. You shoot him so that he looks like grated cheese. All right. Uh, so I'm going to get to this tax rate. I may have to. It's This is basically a press conference held by the sheriff. And I may have to jump ahead because how much time we have left? Uh, you only have four minutes left. All right. Basically, this guy carjacks somebody. The car ran to a ditch. It's four o'clock in the morning. He grabs a shovel and a lug wrench, breaks into this woman's home. Um, and uh, she's got two young kids in the house. And I may have to skip ahead. So here we go. We got a call around 5 a.m. in reference to shots fired in a mobile home uh, on Klein Road. Klein, I refer to this Klein Road mobile home. But he just went to the scene where they found a, a male deceased there in the residence. Uh, through our investigation, identifying him and conducting our investigation, we determined that a few hours before this incident, this male had received a ride, or Mr. Reams had received a ride from another individual. Uh, he was needing a ride. 
Well, on the way to going to the location, he attacked the driver, started punching him, choking him or whatever, which caused the car to run into the ditch. Well, he tried to take possession of the car. Basically, it was a carjacking. He was trying to, but the car got stuck. So at that time, Mr. Reams left on foot. And then a few hours later, when we got the call, apparently he had forced entry into a mobile home where a, a lady in her 30s, along with a five-year-old and an eight-year-old child, were asleep. Uh, he was armed with a shovel and a lug wrench. She was awakened by him with the shovel. Uh, in fear for her life, she retrieved a Glock 40 handgun and fired one shot, striking and disabling him. And he later died for, as a result. They're on scene from a result, result. Died on the scene, and we refer dying on the scene as what? Dead right there. DRT. Here we go. Both of his injuries. Uh, the woman was not injured, nor was her children. Who One of the children was sleeping in the living room, which the intruder had walked right past with the shovel. And the other was in a bedroom asleep. Uh, from doing a criminal background check and all this on our suspect, on the deceased, it was determined that he was arrested in 2001 for an armed robbery charge, which he was later sentenced to 40 years. He had served uh, a little over 20 years and had been recently released on parole. Yeah, she's pretty shaken up on it, but it goes back to, uh, you know, you have a right, you know, under the Constitutional Second Amendment to, to possess a firearm, especially in your home. And, you know, you, you have a right to defend yourself against an attack or a home invasion or whatever, because we don't know what this guy had in, in mind. All right, I'm going to cut it off there. It goes on for another minute, but you can always Google Louisiana mother shoots intruder. So what do you think of that one? Yeah, if you were her, would you have shot the guy? Absolutely. So, all right. So another, by the way, it's just coincidence. I think this is the third week in a row where the, uh, the, the uh, person uh, firing the gun has been a woman, hasn't it been? Or no, last week was the clerk in the convenience store because mm -hmm. the robber was attacking the female clerk. All right. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank everybody. I think we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to learn more, uh, if you go to Jersey, uh, Jersey website, you'll find some of the notes and links to some of the materials. And that's Jersey Joe, J E R Z E E Jersey Joe with a Z Jersey Joe.com. Um, where my producer Sue is going to post a lot of this stuff. If you want to send me an email with a question or you want more information, it's just joe at jerseyjoe.com. Just remember J-E-R-Z-E-E. -E. And with that, I'm done. Uh, producer Sue, you got anything you want to add? I think that's time. All right. Very good. I'll talk to you next week, producer Sue. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.